0: Welcome to Hearthside Salons, talks and conversations to feed your creative fire. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of PageCraft Writing. Each week we bring you a guest worth listening to. My friend Valerie Hager reminds me that we go to the theater to be woken up and brought back to life. She would know. She's an award-winning solo show performer and director who's now a sought-after solo show coach. She works through a unifying principle, bring your beast forward. Anything less won't move an audience. Anything less isn't real. She talks today about this need for storytellers to crack their hearts open and the value of radical empathy. She's learned a lot about human nature. She used to be a stripper in Alaska. She mined all of her experiences there for her show, Naked in Alaska, She says there's gold dust under the pain, that underneath it all, we all just want to be seen, forgiven, and held. A note to listeners, this episode deals with sexuality, drug use, and adult situations. Welcome to PageCraft Hearthside Salon, everybody. Um, I'm really excited this week to have Valerie with us. Valerie Hager is, um, first of all, my upstairs neighbor, so I'm sort of cheating. But um, what's really cool is I, I met, I met you, um, because I was reaching out to a new neighbor and we just like hit it off immediately. You told me about your show. And I was like, I have to see this show. It sounds amazing. Um, and it was, so Valerie, like, we'll get into all of this stuff. You're, you know, raised in Southern California and went into the world of exotic dance to get your butt out of here. So I wanna talk about all of that and like then the creation of your show and everything else because um, I, what I, what really struck me about your show is that it was inspiring and confronting and like sort of paradigm shifting for me and I'm sure for a lot of people. And I would love to, that's like, I wanna dive into all of that and like what it means to you as a performer and all of that. so So thank you for being willing to come on and share and talk about your art. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you so much. This is so
1: exciting. Yeah.
0: So, um, do you have like? Can you do you have like a log line for Naked in Alaska? Can you just sort of go here's yeah. what my show was about?
1: I mean, um, so I wrote a show, Naked in Alaska. Um, it's one of the. It's I wrote six solo shows. This is one of them. And Naked in Alaska is a true story of stripping in the last frontier. And I um, was an exotic dancer for over eleven years. Um, And the period of that time I danced in Alaska, but the play takes place mostly in Alaska because I was trying to hit home some of the stuff that happened while I was living there in Fairbanks. Um, So yeah, I play like about 15 different characters in the show, men and women, women that I danced with, men that I danced for, um, love interests, managers of the club, and really tried to do my best to give an inside out Um, kind of like guts up um, perspective and journey of, of what I went through and uh, what I know a lot of other women also go through, whether or not you work in a club or not, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. That, thank you. That's actually, that's perfect. The perfect summation. Um, So I want to talk more too about The the voices, because it's not just your voice that you share. It's all of these characters. And just as an actor, I assume that's challenging. And as a writer, challenging to capture all the voices, because what struck me in the show is how much you physically embody these different people. And that not every person could do that
1: yeah and you know it's the thing of process i mean i'm sure everybody on this that's listening right now we all know you know process is like agonizing and it doesn't happen overnight nothing that has really great substance substance in in, in my life has happened overnight mm-hmm. so you know it was like 2012 that i started like hunting and gathering this information and excavating my own soul And, uh, it was probably 2010 that I even, the seed of thinking about doing something like this struck me, but it was, it was when I moved to New York with my now husband, Scott. And I just knew that if I really wanted to become the artist and woman that I wanted, that that I, that I knew that I could become, I would have to start to give a voice to all of the things in me that I had hidden away in the dark. And I knew that I couldn't become a whole person unless I did that. And so it was literally um, just going back through photo albums and pictures and diaries and, and contemplating on all that time before I even began to write anything. Like writing was secondary to the hunting and gathering of it all,
2: mm.
1: you know? Um, and I had never written anything of a full length piece before. I had been a performer for a while and I had done like, you know, 15 minute excerpts, 20 minute excerpts, um, autobiographical pieces, but nothing this personal and, um, nothing this long. So it was, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it was something I had never done before. And the way, once I started hunting and gathering and getting everything, it was like the next thing that I had to do was find a mentor and a tribe because there's no way I could have done any of it alone at all. And so that was kind of the next step. And it was through that mentor, Matt Hoverman, who now lives in LA with, all, with with us. I think everyone is in LA here, I don't know. Um, but um, it was finding, you know, a tribe and a class kind of to, to take these and, and to kind of excavate everything and organize it all and figure out how do you take a lifetime of material and put it into a one woman show, you know, and then it was working with my husband, Scott, who's also a writer and theater director. And he really he really taught me what rewriting is and what mm. drafting is and what editing is. And, and actually he's the one that gave me kind of resilience around taking harsh feedback, you know? Wow, yeah. And having it be, you know, my husband adds in a whole nother layer, but you know, I come from where I come from. So I already had a bit of like resilience of steel, but you know this even took it another, this took it another level, you know, but it was it was you know mentors and tribe members and and getting other people's feedback and falling on my face over and over again and then finally, I started to write the play, but there was a whole process period that yeah came before that that I think not I'm sure not everyone here, but I know that sometimes out in the world it can seem like oh that you know, that must have happened so fast, all of this Mm. stuff, you know, but the excruciating part that's not really talked about, you know, out there. Once I understood, you know, a basic structure, it's like, okay, here's this lifetime of stuff, but I need to choose kind of a time period that I want to speak to, you know, what is the opening image? What is the final image that I Mm -hmm. have for this piece? What are the major events that happened in between them and then how can I show them and not like continuously give a monologue on stage, Mm -hmm. but what would happen if I get in my body and I just literally see how much of it I can show you with my body that I don't have to tell you that I can show you through my expression that I can say, it's almost like in this, in, 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 in this, in the least amount of words, how can I say the most? And that Mm -hmm. still applies to solo shows, even though sometimes people choose to do the more monologue format. This is not a monologue format solo show.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Um, what I, what was so interesting for me is this like, you know, now we're neighbors, we live in the same building. So I'm like, oh, we're totally like the same kind of person. (laughs) And then like learning about your background, I was like, my mind is blown because I was so vastly different from where I come from and kind of what I've gone through. I would love to just he- hear some more about, you know, what like what your childhood was like and then that the, the impetus to get into stripping and then the decision to go to Alaska.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I feel like we all come with our own kind of, you know, stories. We all come out of that war of whatever it was of our own. And for me, um I was a a meth addict of 14 years old, so I started using drugs at 14, and I started using drugs as as a way to um, escape from, you know, what I felt was an isolating environment, and also I had an eating disorder, so I thought, oh, what a great way to lose weight, (laughs) Um, and uh, not, you know, I wouldn't recommend that to any other 14-year-old, but you know, I fell fast into an addiction and I fell fast into self-harm, um, into bulimia and, um, you know, checked into rehab. Um, I was living on my own at 17 with my drug dealer boyfriend and just kind of like trying to make it out there, you know, Mm. like, like I threw my own self into the wolf pack, you know, and, um, I was going through stuff today to try to like, get back in touch with that time period in preparation for this. And it just struck me. And I'm, I am i imagine that there are other people that have this experience too. It just struck me of the journals journaling from that age of 12, 13, 14, and how much self hate there was, yeah. and how much um, lack of worth and lack of structure or mentors that I felt that I could um, trust or that I could look to. And, and I think back and I, you know, there was there, the underneath that is a lot of creativity and, yeah. It's, there's a, there's a there's a lot of um, you know gold dust underneath that but at that time I didn't understand that that's what that was yeah. and so instead of putting it out into the world I just like sort of turned the swords in on myself and just kept on cutting open at every angle that I could because it just felt like at that time that that kind of pain and that kind of um, you know scarring that I could do to myself was at least like I could at least prove to do you couldn't do any worse to me. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was this like cyclical thing that was going on and, you know, uh, it was 18. I got clean, um, in NA narcotics anonymous and in San Diego. Um, and I still couldn't figure out how to be what they say is a productive member of society. I still, I couldn't figure out how to be a functioning adult. I mean, I was only 18, but still, um, I hadn't really ever held a job, um, you know, longer than a minute. You know, I probably at that time had like 20 jobs under my belt including dealing drugs. Um so I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to function and I found myself in $3500 worth of debt from parking tickets. Oh man. Because I just didn't even know how to get myself to the courthouse to deal with it one step at a time and it just I let it accumulate mm-hmm. and, and and I thought that whatever whatever were these things that normal people or adults were doing in the outside world, maybe if I just ignored them, they would all disappear. And this is a part of like living in a disassociative life. Mm -hmm. And this is when I was $3,500 in debt. My, you know, abusive, physically abusive boyfriend at the time dumped me and I got fired from my job. I swear to God, it all happened in one day. And my best friend at the time who was already stripping said, why don't you just come strip with me in Tijuana and we'll make shitloads of money and you'll get out of this mess. And I thought it sounded like the best idea I had ever heard in my life. And so that, you know, first night turned into an over a, a 10 year career. And, uh, a, a after Tijuana and San Diego and Arizona and dancing Vegas, blah, blah, blah. She told me about Alaska. And Alaska, at least back then, was where you could dance and there would be tons of men from the lower 48 just, you know, infiltrating in Fairbanks, smoke jumpers, firemen, military bases, construction workers, oil workers, Mm -hmm. and and there would just be all this money. And there was like two clubs. So for, (laughs) you know, and nothing to do. Yeah. You know. And then plus in Alaska, you get dividend checks per family member of two thousand dollars every October. Uh, So There's just tons of money. Yeah, you know, and it's also you know at that time I didn't even understand like it's it's you know America's most male dominated state, and there's all kinds of other things that go on there. Um, And I just like again threw myself into the wolf den, um, you know kind of like excitedly not even not even not even having any worry just excited to get away from everything Mm -hmm. you know yeah it's
0: I I mean when you look back on that 14 year old girl are you just like I am amazed you survived like that girl had serious grit you know and luck and luck too but like
1: that's I do. I think that sometimes when I think back around, especially when I think back around the drugs that I did and I'm like, I'm so lucky. I, I actually like have teeth, you know, and I think back and I think, I I think something else had to have been watching over me, you know, or whatever, whatever I believe in or don't believe in there had to have been something. I don't know what, but I shouldn't be here, you know, and I OD'd once and I'm still here. And, you know, it's insane the things that happened. And I think back now and I, there's no, I would cut off my hand before I did some of the things that I did.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It is, it's amazing your resilience, but then that girl, that young but girl's you know, resilience. it's
1: you that know? young girl that, that used to hate herself and cut herself and stick her fist down her throat and allow herself to just like be used because it it felt better to be wanted than to be, you know, um, looked over. It's like that girl is the reason why I am where I am now, which is that girl and all of the things that she went through are the reason why I have A Naked in Alaska or the five other shows or the reason why I can actually work with women that um, in the ways that I do, you know, and she just didn't know that in a way that was her preparation. That was her, um, you know, that, w- that was like her soul's journey. How I think of it is like preparing her for what she was meant to do. She had to go through all of these things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, that's, I think, relatable in so many ways, because like I, you know, as you're talking, I'm writing things down. I'm like, I didn't go through that, but I definitely went through little goth girl, angry, wearing all black, hating myself and just feeling worthless. So I feel like that we all, I think we all have those feelings and it just, what, what happens is and the circumstances in which we deal with them are different for each of us. But I think it's so universal and, and the, the disassociative stuff you talked about, like I definitely had those moments where I was just like, I'm so overwhelmed by trying to adult. I don't know what to do maybe if I ignore all this, it'll go away, which now looking back, you're like, that's ridiculous. How did I think that was a strategy? But like you just genuinely sink under for a while. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I feel like that's, everybody has some flavor of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think that's partly why your show is so touching because everyone kind of kind of go, Oh, that was this thing for me. And that was this thing for me. And I was there, but it looked like this. And, yeah. um, one of the things I thought that was so fascinating too in the show was when you talked about how glamorous you felt the women were that when, you first were like, just blown away by them. And I was talking with my brother about this earlier today and he was, and he mentioned the Dolly Parton effect, how like, <laughs> you know, she went to town and she was like brunette and kind of plain and saw those women didn't realize that they were sex workers and was like, they're beautiful. I want to be like that. And, I love that that was her reaction and that she's become who she's become because of that. Can you talk a a little bit about that? Because I thought, I remember you saying something about how you looked at these women and what you felt.
1: Yeah, I did. I felt like, I always felt like, uh, I think there was a part of me too that yearned so much to be able to step into my own roots, that yearned so much to be able to take a room, that yearned to be able to you know, uh, uh, walk outside with my shoulders back and, and not hunched over. And I always before this had felt really self conscious of my body, you know, for the reasons I've mentioned. And so it was like when I stepped into that Tijuana club, that was the first time I saw it was like an elevated stage. It was a circular stage. You had to walk up these steps that lit from behind, and and the light was on the bottom of the stage, so it was a, m- a lot more fancy than Fairbanks. And so it would like light up. The, you know light up from the bottom okay and i remember seeing this woman nikki and i remember clocking in my head that is what a full-fledged woman looks like wow that's what it looks like to be a woman and i don't know how i'm gonna be a nikki but i'm sure as hell gonna fucking figure it out and it was just there was something about you know she had big breasts and she had big hair and she had her shoulders back and she didn't give two shits. And she owned that stage. And everything about her was everything that I yearned to be. But I didn't know how um, to get there.
0: I think that's beautiful. Because like, I've thought about, you know, I think a lot of us have thought at some point, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting, I, I don't know how to make rent this month. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, maybe I could go strip, you know, and I, and I think so that's like, something a lot of us think about. And then I've always thought, Oh God, no, I never could. Like I would feel so cowed walking, trying to walk out there and be like, this is my body. I'm sexy. Look at me. You know, like, I would just be like, Oh my God, I could never do that for, 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 for reasons of my own shame, both I think with myself. And then also just like, how do I walk out after that and go, yeah, I'm, I stripped, mm-hmm. you know? And the fact, I think that's, I don't know if you got that in that moment when you looked at Nikki or if you kind of had it. And it's just like, because what I love is that you there's you've no there's no shame about who you were, who you are. You're just like you own it in a way that I think I have trouble owning just walking down the street. You know,
1: I hear you. I mean, I also say I came from a movement background, so my dad. Is a mime artist and I was performing oh, right. with him at a very young age. Even though we, uh, you know, uh, separated at some point, and I was mostly with my mom and my stepdad. Um, but there were those very early ta- was those very early moments in my life where I, I, I think, those memories just like lodged, and mm-hmm. I just, I think, also just, I always had that in me. Like I always with someone who was going to express themselves through the body, and it just took me this long to do it in a way that is, um, for me, uh, more whole. I have nothing wrong with stripping. I have a lot of friends that are strippers. I think, you know, it was I would I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Um, but I just understand now uh, how to use all of that stuff in a way that is more that that is more whole for my own personal soul. Yeah. Um you know?
0: Well, I think that's, that's kind of like one of the lessons I take from your show is just, and from just you as a human is like, what would I be like if I proceeded without feeling shame about what I'm trying to say or how I look, or if I, and I think every woman, you know, if we all could just own our power and our voices and stop this kind of self-imposed shame, there's so much fire to be had, you
1: know, and just, it's amazing. There's so much fire, but you know what? It's like, I hear you. And I feel like it wasn't always like that though. So of course, right. Yeah. So it was like the first half of working in that world, you know, was really empowering. And there was a lot of, um, you know, awesome feelings of like local fame, you know, money, um, you know, attention, Um, not really having to worry about someone else's schedule, all of that stuff. And then I hit a point where it wasn't so great anymore. Hmm. And the reason I hit that point is because I stopped listening to my own body. So I started to, um, not listen to my own instincts, my own sort of intuition saying, don't do this right now. You need to stop. Um, you know, say no, don't let them do that. Stop letting them touch you. Mm. Uh, get out of this relationship. And basically everything that I had been running from, from the beginning, just totally turned three, threefold on me. And, uh, it it just took me underground and I went with it, you know, and that's just a part of the journey, you know? And then I basically had to pick myself up, peel myself up, myself up off the ground, go back and live with my mom, you know? Um, as as a as a full-fledged adult and try to make it all over again, just like I had at 18 years old, looking for some you know minimum wage job, um, trying to make a life for myself. I mean, I had to, I had to face everything that I was running from mm. inside out in order to actually, you know, get where I am right now, you know? And yeah. so then that was a whole nother journey of of really doing the deep work, of doing the deep work, and going to for me with somatic therapy and moving my body and building my confidence through my actions and starting to understand what does it mean to take care of myself, and what does it mean to really listen to my body. You
0: know, I think we could all uh, do with learning those tools.
1: It's a tough, it's a tough, long, endless journey.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Um, so one of the things I I noticed too, is I I wanted to ask, what did you learn about human nature in experiencing? And I'm thinking there was, there's a moment in the show where you pick somebody out of the audience and you go and basically do a lap dance with that person. And you talked about having to be able to read people because it's not just something you're doing at somebody. It's a, it's a partnership. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like it's too everything has like yin and yang. It's like two sides. Like at the same time of uh I'm sure that uh, some some of the list, some of the people listening too and, probably, and maybe even you Heidi it's like there's a certain sensitivity that some of us have, you know, and working in an environment where it's kind of like underworld and everybody's uh everybody's kind of um you know, you're allowed, your toxicity is allowed to rise there. It's like mm. celebrated, you know? So there's a lot of invisible in the room that, um, on one hand, uh, as a sensitive person, you, it's easy to just take, it all, in, take yeah. it all in and then not knowing how to, um, what to do with it. If, if one doesn't have the tools to know what to do with it, then it can just take you over. And on the other hand, um, there is also a way, um, there's also a way to, to tap into the, to compassion and empathy. It can yeah. makes me think of one of the characters in naked in Alaska burned man. And he was basically this customer in Alaska who his half of his body was burned. Um, he had accidentally lit his house on fire, uh, falling asleep, sleep with a cigarette in his mouth. And, um, he got out and his wife didn't, and he would come into the club, uh, staggering drunk every night. And, um, all he really wanted was to be forgiven. Now he's probably not going to ever get that from anybody else from himself, but it was still, um, these, these private moments of compassion and empathy exchange and total, just like raw humanity where it wasn't about sexual sexuality. It wasn't about, you know, turning him on. It wasn't about anything like that. It was about Seeing him as a human being who fucked up, and loving him anyway, yeah. and in that I was also able to get that from him because I'm a human being who fucked up and needs to be loved anyway. So stuff like that happens a lot um, in between all of the, you know, other stuff.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know? that's that strikes me as like you know one of the grace notes of of that world and what you were doing and what you were able to accomplish, just like having that incredible well of empathy and humanity with just people.
1: Yeah. I I think a lot, I mean, I think a lot of, I I mean, I think a lot of artists do in general and I know a lot of strippers do. I mean, a part of the job, it's like, you know, I think that like movies and TV and stuff like that can make it look like, you know, like hustlers or something. Yeah. Um, but really underneath that, most of the time there, it's just a lonely person that's looking and longing to be seen, loved and heard. I mean, most of the time it's that, and then you have really fucked up shit that happens that, you know, there's no going back, but it's like most of the time are people just wanting to be held. Yeah. What, what I feel like that about the. I feel like that about people in general, though. I yeah. Feel like that people in general, you know, there's there's like there's the ones out there that is going to take the sword and cut our heads off. I bet they are going to be there always. But most of us, most of the people, are just looking to be held. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's a, an incredible way of de-armoring yourself. You know, just like no, walking through the world, knowing that everyone. Is hurting and wants to be
1: held. You know what I thought of? I thought, the other day, well, this is like a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to Scott, and I was like, "You know what it's like? It's like because I can be. Uh, I'm learning how to be less reactive, and <laughs> um, and um, and so, anyways, uh, the way that I'm the way that I'm reframing this with myself is even when I'm walking down the street, you know, with our dogs, and this person is this, and everybody's got their shit going on, and I think to myself. I'm in a forest with a bunch of people whose arms and legs are cut off and whose ear is cut off and who's bleeding right in front of me. And what do I wanna do? Do I wanna stick another sword inside of them when they're already bleeding? And I'm bleeding too, you know? And so I really try to see as much as I can. That's actually the reality underneath this shell. That's what I feel is like what's really happening.
0: Yeah a lot of pain that is being hidden. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's so like, I feel like we could all use more of that. Not, not bleeding limbs, but you know, but just being like that radically empathetic to everybody. And, you know, we could use a little more kindness at the moment anyway. Yeah. Um, so how, like, how has that, like that ability to see that in people and connect with people, how has that then affected your work Performing as an actor, as a writer, as a director. How 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 have you brought those things that you learned and developed on stage into the other stage?
1: I think for me, the bit, you know for me the biggest learning curve was writing and 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 um, and and organizing and and having the patience to rewrite and and what wasn't so much of a learning curve was the vulnerability aspect because that's what I learned so much dancing naked on stages night after night. And, you know, and I think that one of the things that I feel when I go to the theater or when I'm seeing anything that deals with a person, let's say a movie, a TV show, I just want the truth. I just want, I want to feel a human connection. I want to be moved. I want to be cracked open. I want to be gutted. I want something to happen viscerally. And so if I don't get that, I really don't care. And so I felt like the only way that I was gonna be able to, to, to satiate my own self in this work was if I brought that element. Because I can learn to write. I can learn to do the things that, um, you know, I don't know how to do. I can, that's, you know, I can I, I can learn all of those things through finding tribe and mentors. But I feel like the thing that is innately in all of us is whether we want to allow our vulnerability to be seen. Yeah. And I feel like there is s- s- total like strength in vulnerability. and vulnerability. And, and, and I felt like with the show, if I held back the things that I did because of some kind of shame factor, what was that gonna serve anybody in the audience? Mm. Yeah. It was like the only way that I know that I, I could heal my own war- wounds is by letting them be seen. And letting them be seen is vulnerable, but it's also, it also takes a lot of strength. Yes. And then in that, I feel like that's tra- a transference that's going on, especially in live theater mm-hmm. where other people are like, okay, she just got on her knees and reenacted giving a blowjob to a guy and getting paid for it. And she's doing that in front of us. And then she holds the guy who's weeping in front of her because he didn't really want that. He just wanted to be held. You know, if I was to not do that and to act like it was all just roses and cotton candy, then who the fuck cares? We don't yeah. come to the theater for anything other than to be woken up and to be brought back to life. I love That's that. I feel. Yes.
0: Yes, I 100% agree. Do you find yourself using some of these same the techniques of just this bringing this gaze of radical empathy when you're working with a young woman who's trying to write her own show and you seeing what she's going through and excavating her painful past or whatever.
1: Yeah, I do. I was working with a wonderful actress uh, before the COVID struck and uh, she's currently dancing uh, at a place called Jumbos in LA that's shut down obviously right now. Um, and it was this, it was it was almost like I, I, I was actually I was struck because it was almost like as if she was me back back when mm. I started. and she was um, at first not really wanting to go to those places sure. and not really understanding why she needed to go to those places. Yeah And it was her opening up to me because I opened up to her in these private moments. And it was that exchange of me saying, let me tell you about the shit that I did. And let me tell you and not leave anything out. And then you're going to tell me about the shit that you did. And then we're going to put that on paper because I got your back because you're me and I'm you in this situation. Yeah. And one of the things that I would, that I use is I say the term beast forward, beast forward. It means like in this work that I do with these women, don't. You bring your beast forward. Mm. I don't want anything anything less because anything less is 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 not going to be what is going to move an audience. It's not going to be what's going to crack open a heart on the other side. Yeah. And if you're not going to do that, then don't do it. Don't, then don't do it. That's yeah. why then don't do it. I I freaking love that.
0: I love beast forward um and I, I see like you know as a in a writing principle it's that thing of truth like the we we are here to tell the truth and some about some form and some aspect of the human condition that's the point to me of writing at all and um you know that completely tracks the thing that cracks us open watching any film is that coming out of the low point when that person cracks themselves open and does the grand gesture or tells the hard truth or what it's like.
1: Yes. I love her.
0: (laughs) It's like, that's, that's exactly it. We're hardwired to respond to that level of here is my heart on a platter, you know, and I am now completely okay with you can stomp all over it or you can hold it and cradle it and love it. And I am, I just need it to be here.
1: Yeah, and it's and and you know just just even touching back on that, it was like also when when this person that I'm speaking speaking about when she brought her beast forward, it is both ferocious and vulnerable. Yes, it is. It's like it 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 for for me, and I can I I I can understand. It's it feels almost like I'm going to shatter, I'm going to break if I do that. But actually, what happens if I step into that beast forward and the vulnerability that it takes to step into that? I am almost like impenetrable. Yeah. Nothing, nothing can happen. You know what I mean? Because I'm standing in the hole of who I am. And that's what I saw this particular actress do when she stepped into that. And then what does that do? That just goes, trickles into the audience and the entire audience then starts to have that sensation and pieces of that inside of them. Yeah. I
0: think it leads to a craving to tell your own truth. When you see that power and you yeah. see someone break open like that, you're like, oh, I wanna, I wish I could feel that way too.
1: And that's what happened after she did um, her, she did her story about um, about stripping and and, and um, she really spoke about some things that were happening, uh, that happened to her that were really hard to talk about. And she got emails of, and um, you know, a Facebook message from women who have had that same experience, Mm. who were saying, you just said what happened to me. And now I think that I can say, you know, what happened to me to somebody else because it's been hiding in the corner for so long. Right.
0: So in a way you are facilitating truth sort of for the species. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like, it's a small, it's a pebble in the ripple in the water here, but like it keeps going out and every you tell your truth. Now she tells her truth. People that see her, people that see you, it's like, it's this exponential growth of like, that's the goal. That's the dream. I right. I mean, that's, that's what's beautiful to me is it's like, it then becomes, it's not just about you. It's beyond you.
1: It's yeah. Cause can I you imagine? That's when, that's when it changed. That's when Naked in Alaska changed where, where in the beginning it was, I needed to tell my story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it became about, Oh, there's a trickle effect happening. Mm-hmm. Wait, <laughs> there's like a trickle effect happening, and this is not just my story; it's our story. And then it became about something larger than me, and so that's when this whole other kind of paradigm shift happened. Yes, where I wasn't really in it. I, I wasn't in it for myself anymore because it it was small there, you know. Yeah once I started to be, once I started to be in it, because I started to understand that there was this thread through all of us. Yeah.
0: You know, that's one of the, you know, one of the writing, one of the storytelling principles is the more specific you make a thing, the more universal it is. And this, I think that's exactly this is like, you were so specific and you were so pinpoint focus. And it's like, it has this universality to like, Everyone has experienced pain. Everyone has made choices they wish they hadn't. Everyone has made other choices. They're like, how dare you challenge me on that? I'm proud of that, you know? And I just, I love that. So that girl, we were talking about her earlier, the 14-year-old you, what would you say to her now?
1: Yeah, I would, I would say to her, you know, I've been asked this question before and I always like try to ask myself, What would I really say to her? What would I really say to her? What would I really say to her? You know, I would really just probably, you know, I I was like, I was watching that Tales from the Loop TV show about, and that, and um, the actress got to, got to have a moment with her younger self. And I was really struck by that. And I thought, what, what if I actually physically somehow in some weird loop that happened I had my younger self right in front of me and I could look into her eyes, not just like this hypothetical, what would I say? But what if I really could touch her and put my hands on her cheeks? Mm. I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I would say. I would hug her. I would hold her. I would tell her that she has more fire in her than she knows and get ready because the world is waiting. And I would tell her that she has purpose and that everything feels fucked up and chaotic and confusing. And that's just a part of the ride. And all of it is going to turn into gold dust. If she just holds on for all her life, you yeah. know, but I think I would just hold her and say, you're fucking sparkle dust.
0: <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. And I feel like I, cause as you said, everyone just wants to be held. Um, yeah. I feel like I wish someone that's, you know, cause I, I ask a lot of people that this question. And so it's like, I I'm always think in asking them myself. And I think that's probably the best answer is I just would want to hear that. I would want to hear that I had, if I were that my 13 year old self would want to hear that she has purpose.
1: Yeah. I think it's really powerful. I also think it's really powerful to understand, um, you know, how to listen to our bodies, yes. you know, I wish I would have known how to listen to my body and that listening to my body usually had more information for me and intuitive, um, you know, um, messaging than my brain, you know? Yes. I think that's a big, that's a big part of it. And, yeah. That- when thinking about the work too, um, and and for me, and, and creating work, a lot of it is listening to my body. It's getting on my feet. When I work with other women, it's having them get on their feet because oftentimes when they um, start saying their lines on their feet, it's gonna come it's gonna come out differently. Because yeah. the body has 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 um, more honest ways of saying things oftentimes than sedentary mind way of writing. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: there's two things there that I wanted to address. First of all, I think as women, we get trained out of listening to our intuition. And that's one of the worst, uh, most tragic aspects, I think of our just society in general, because it is such a powerful tool. And we're told that it's, you know, you're being emotional or it's, you know, woo woo or whatever, but it's such a powerful tool that we are imbued with. And if we could hone it instead of being trained out of it and then having to relearn it, I think that would be really valuable. Um, but I wanted to ask these, so now that you get to work with women and you get to do this, what's your favorite thing about coaching other women as they find their voices in their stories?
1: My favorite thing is that moment that they understand what beast forward is. It's that moment that they, that all of a sudden they understand what it means to bring your guts up through your heart and shoot it out through your eyes. My favorite moment is when all of a sudden I start to feel the invisible in the room between Mm -hmm. her and me. I start to feel a ripple in the energy space. I start to feel like my heart is cracked open. And I know in that moment we've tapped into raw truth. And I know that then she knows what that moment is and that that is actually what we're after. And because she now knows it, she knows that she can do it and she knows how to get there.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I want to open it up to ha- have people ask or, or whatever they would like to share. But before I do that, the one, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is you have fa- such a beautiful facility in you channeling your voice in so many things, you know, like you doing these charcoal dance, like yeah. dancing with your body, just with charcoal over paper or doing your outline of yourself as a fairy and putting it in the window and like you know i feel like it's almost this childlike like something is giving you access in like a childlike way of just curiosity and openness that you're just like how i want oh hey what can i create with this today this is my artist you know this is my my medium today and like you're just it's play it's playful and it's so fantastic so i just wanted to ask about like Can you talk about that? Like when you look at something and go,
1: but I will just add to it. It's, it's, it's for me, maybe sometimes it's play, but oftentimes it's on the edge. It's being on the edge and it's having an awareness that I'm on the edge. And so where in the past I used to, you know, uh, take something and stick it into my skin or I used to put my fist down my throat or I used to, you know, um, uh, you know, sleep with somebody or whatever it was, you know, those were the ways that I would express that angst inside oh. that uh, wild woman in me that wants to be, have a fucking platform to be seen. And I feel like through the deep work of understanding how to listen to my body and uh, working with a somatic practitioner and building a practice of my own, of my own spiritual practice and finding mentors in a tribe that I can trust. I've understood how to take that kind of energy, that edge, and to put it and transfer it into something that's creative and that's um, not harmful for me, but lifts me, but is still of the same wild woman, you know? She's just not the one that... I'm not stabbing a sword into her anymore, now she's actually standing on the platform she's always imagined that she would stand on, you know? And so I think a, I think a part of that for me is just having the conscious awareness inside that there is this angsty energy and how can I give it some kind of place to be seen and to really listen in, is it charcoal today? Is it, you know, is it fitness today? Is it, um, you know, craft making? Is it writing? What is it? And she often, when I listen to her, she's very specific. She knows exactly like, okay, no, that's this. And if I start to do something else, I'll just get more anxiety. Interesting. Yeah. But, and also it's just, I think that, the, I think it's really about, y- y'all know Women Who Run with the Wolves, that book. So I yes. read it again, again, and again, and it just continues to remind me of that wild woman in me who I need to listen to and tend to and who is leading the way and who has always been the one behind me watching over me and on both sides serving as my wings Mm -hmm. and when I remember that and roots at my bottom you know and the stars above my head and when I remember that I know that I'm going to be that I am I've always been held you know, and when I fall into her on any sides and trust that she's going to catch me, as long as I'm listening to her, I will be led. But the second I start to block my ears, I'm fucked.
0: Yeah. You know? So, Well, do you have any, like, because now I'm you're going, I want to learn to listen better to my, you know, my wolf woman. Like, how can you, like, how do you recommend? Like, how does one develop that facility?
1: Well... It takes a long time. No, I think for me, <laughs> I think it's been a, it's been a long journey to hear and what is what it's involved for me personally is getting in my body through moving my body. For me, that's been fitness to save my life. But it's been it's been dancing. I still pull dance. Um, it's been dancing, moving my body. Um, it's been being in nature. It's been finding books like The Women Who Run with the Wolves and and, and and going, Oh my God, here I am. It's been lighting candles and shutting my eyes to see. It's been meditating and praying. And honestly, it's just been those things as a practice and working with a somatic practitioner, which saved my life, you know, who taught me what it means to go in, who taught me how to listen to the parts in my body that are burning and not run from them or shut them away, but dive into the fire. Because if I don't dive into the fire, I'll just become the fire itself. So diving into the fire and finding out what it has to offer me, eventually the fire turns to water and becomes what soothes me. So the last thing I'll say to that in simplest terms, it was when I realized this, when I just sit in that and know I'm not gonna die and burn and just sit and burn and let the hot tears come down my cheeks, that's the beginning for me. That's the beginning.
0: Yeah, wow. So I'm hearing a lot of just facing, facing and listening and learning to become fearless with what we might be afraid of finding in ourselves. Yeah, That's really beautiful. I think everyone might be in a a sense, a state of just kind of like. That's
1: okay. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh, I see Megan's face.
0: Hey. Megan, did you want to say anything?
2: Hi, I just, oh my gosh, just love you, Valerie, so much. I just love hearing you talk about your process and everything, I feel totally fucking inspired today. That's exactly why I tuned in, so thank you. (laughs)
1: So, uh, Megan is actually the performer and writer I was referring to. No
0: way, oh my gosh, welcome. I'm so looking forward to seeing your show now, too.
2: You I'm looking forward to doing it again at some point whenever this all subsides.
0: How has the process been for you in this excavation and self-dealing? Uh, like life-changing, honestly. Um,
2: yeah, it, it was it's been it's been an incredible process. I feel like every every turn in the river that I take, it's like, I think that like, oh, I just went through an adventure, but like the, the adventure is still to come. Um, That's how I'm feeling lately. So I, I, I've presented it twice now, and I still feel like the best is yet to come. I I still feel like it's not even in its final form. Um, But every time I do it, it just unlocks so many doors in my heart and that's thanks to Valerie, hundred percent, a hundred percent. And she's just she's she's my she's my like wild woman
0: guru <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. Do you have any plans to turn it into a film script and a film?
1: Um, well, funny you should ask. Um, so uh, for the last year and a half, I've been working with a mentor, and I uh, just finished the TV pilot. Um, I have the, I finished the TV pilot, I finished the Bible, I just put together a video pitch. Um, It's amazing. Um, It's like, it was a big learning curve. And uh, the same things that I learned that helped me write the one woman show were the things that I knew how to apply for the TV pilot. So it was finding a mentor to work with, um, finding believing mirrors to be um, my support through the process. Um, it was rewriting, 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 how to say the most, um, with the least words. Um, you know, it, there was a whole different way of writing that I had to, yes. um, learn and I did, and, uh, it's, uh, it's a now, um, a half hour, uh, drama and it's being shopped around and, um, we'll see, we'll see. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: I was going to say, you're going to have to uh, keep us updated on that, too, because we could update the links uh, underneath this episode. Oh, as...
1: yeah, for sure. And I feel like one of those things for me that I learned was like, if I don't know how to do something, then reach out and <laughs> find somebody that does and ask yeah. them to be my mentor, because anything is possible. I have, I have a mentor who says this phrase, um, believe the impossible is possible. And it's a really great mantra, because... Definitely. When that little gremlin starts to take place in my mind and tells me, What are you doing this for, anyways? You're, you know, you're this, you're that, you're this. I just turn my warrior self to it and I say, believe any anything is possible. The impossible is possible. So, you know, yeah.
0: That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the
0: value you now is the value of mentors, and you are a mentor and you see the value and you seek a mentor. And like, that's, I think, especially as women, we just, if we can keep sharing with each other, what we've learned and and how process works. Here's how I, here's how I know to do this thing. You should do it too, or try it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like you know, one of the, one of the things that, one of the biggest things that saved me though, was like going back was, was moving my body and yeah. was actually, you know, finding the, mo- the mantras that I found were actually from fitness. So, mm. just, you know, push past, dive deep, mm. um, you know, uh, you know, like, what did you come here for? You know, any anybody can, uh, you know, like, you know, don't get, don't give up, give in, like all of these things as cliche as they sound, in moments when i'm by myself and i'm doing the work sometimes it saves me these little mantras these little practices of repetition in my mind that take the place of what the gremlins say instead Mm -hmm. of listening to these mantras that is what helps me to continue to dive deep into the abyss yeah that
0: makes sense i mean it's we all accumulate the voices the what did Sylvia call it? My friend Sylvia was on a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about it's an incantation. It's a curse. It's like, if you think of a curse as being negative words that someone puts on you, these are then positive words with which we break those curses and like empower ourselves. and like, this is my magic and I'm using it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Keeping in touch with that. Do all I think this has been amazing. And do you want to? Is there anything else you'd like to say or share? I
1: just feel so honored that that people came and listened, and that you asked me to be on this, Heidi. And I just feel like you know, um, a lot of. Uh, I think besides, is, is everybody here a woman except for Carlo? Or is there? Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And I, I was just thinking of that quote. Sorry. <laughs> Hi. I was just thinking of that quote that her success is not my failure. Yes. And I remember when I I remember when I thought that every success of any woman other than me yes. was a sword in my back in my side in my neck and was a was somehow a failure that I adopted. And mm-hmm. when I realized and especially through working with other women that the more that they shined and got to stand in the light the more that I did too. And I just feel so moved by that. And I feel like that's happening right here (laughs) with all of us. I feel like the, you all being a support and listening to me and having me be in a sense like in the light in this moment, I feel like is radiating back out. And all of you, that's how I see you. And I feel like, God damn, can we just be like this as as women in the world? Like, let's take over. Sorry, Carlo.
0: I think we should. Uh, and I mean, I've always, I, this is like why I've, I've said when I made my list of like, who do I want to talk to? You were immediately on it because I find you so inspiring and in just that you're fierce, but you're, but it's that radiant light of, and it's empathy. Now it's like, that's what it is. It's empathy that is, I feel so lacking from our world in general, but like, you just have this like fearlessness that it's like, I'm going to fucking love you. Like what? Just, Hey. And it's just like. Oh my God! okay, you know I love that. I want to stand in that light. Thank you very much um, and it's just you know it's amazing so I appreciate that and I also really appreciate the um that the the, the what you we were saying about success because you know all of my training up to a certain point, especially working as a writer in Hollywood, yeah. is that there's only so many seats at the table yeah. and You know, if she wins this award or if she wins this contest or if she gets booked at that job and gets staffed on that show, I don't, you know, it's, there's only so many seats. And and this is just like, no, there's not a scarcity of seats. There's room for all of us. I
1: felt like that. And Megan knows about this. There's another, um, there's another show that has to do that. That it's about stripping. That's going to, uh, be going on television at some point. And there was a whole process when I was starting to write Naked in Alaska, where I was just like pissed and I was, uh, you know, wanting to give up and I was wanting to put my head under the, uh, you know, under the bed. <laughs> And, you know, basically it was just, it hit me all of a sudden through my believing mirrors like Megan and my mentor who were like, your story is your story. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if the setting is the same or if there are are like a little bit of, you know, similarities in how things are done. The soul of what each of us have been through can never be taken away from someone else. It is ours and only Mm -hmm. ours. And so when I really let that sit inside of my guts, there was nothing that could stop me from finishing. Here's what I'm going to say next. This is the biggest thing I live by doing what finishing and doing what I said I was going to do and following it through. And once that kind of clicked in, then there was, that that was it. That was it. Yeah. Being your word. Yeah, because you have someone like Megan, who also is, she's a stripper. You have someone like me, who was a stripper. She has a show. I have a show. You have Hustlers. You have this other TV show coming on. They're all taking place in maybe the same house, but the family dynamics that happen and the personal experience that happens in each of them are different to each of the individuals that experience them. Yes. So we have something to learn from every house that we go into, even though they all are houses.
0: Yes, that's absolutely true. I mean, I say that, I say this to writers all the time. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. We all know that, right? But there's, it's your voice. You're the only one that could tell that story in the way you, you tell it. So, you know, we could have, we could come from the same high school, go to the same college, take the same classes, and we would still tell the story of those schools in a totally different way because we're individual voices. And that's what I, so I, I always encourage, even if your idea seems banal or you've seen something like that. Tell it anyway, because it's your voice and it's going to have a different spin. And and the world of like, oh, well, there's already one stripper thing on TV. I'm sorry, how many like police procedurals are on TV at any given time? Like there's room. (laughs) We can have more than one of those.
1: There's room for all of us. And I think that's a big, that was a big shift for me is when I realized that there's room for all of us. And that the specificity of my story, and as raw and, and raw instinct that I can be with it, is what's going to set it apart from this one, from that one, and the same with all of us. Yeah, the same with all of us.
0: One of my uh, one of my mentors who who got me into film school. So when I was learning to write screenwrite screenwrite, um, so we got out, and, a, and somebody else in my class won a big thing and like got like their her film was getting made and I was so angry and so bitter and my friend who'd been through the program a couple years ahead of me and had been like vouched for me he was like oh congratulations bitter at another writer's success now you're a real pro writer and I was like "Ah." and then the more I reflect back on that I'm like oh my god that's that was like literal training that I got was Begrudge your friends, your friends, their success, not strangers, people you actually know and care about. And I thought, what a terrible, what a terrible paradigm to be like, no, you got yours. Great. Pull me up with you. Or, or, you know, I'm going to amplify your voice because I'm so excited that you're being heard. And yeah, you know, me standing in that place will meet, will pull me up or amplify my own self in its time. Like it doesn't take it away from me.
2: There's something human about it though. There's, there's Anne Lamott and Lamott writes a book called book Creativity, yes. which Heidi is holding. And there's a line in there where she wrote a poem and the poem went, the book of my enemy has been remaindered and I am pleased. Yeah.
1: There's
2: something human cool. about it. Yeah.
1: There's something really that's there's something really vulnerable about that, just really raw and beautiful about that. And actually, that bird by bird is the process in which I wrote this series. Oh, super! You know, because I took and I looked at the email that I sent to the to my mentor on the on one of our first um, meetings, and I sent her an email and I said, I don't know what to do with all of this muck or how any of it's going to make sense because I have hundreds of pages of. Uh, a, a, of story writing, of um, you know journal writing, of pieces that I've already written that never were performed, and dozens of archival photos to pull for inspiration, and I just don't know how it's going to turn into anything because, as we know, a TV series is very different from a one woman show. So here, I here you know it was through that bird by bird process that she took me that I I, I didn't really. Um, I hadn't really known about uh, uh, as a as a as a um, I knew about the book, but as an inside-out feeling, I hadn't really experienced mm-hmm. it. And it was through her excavating with me all of these hundreds of pages that I was at first judging as wasteful, mm-hmm. and that she said, "No, this one line here out of these forty pages is going to be a great way to start this scene." Or this one description that was in, you know, this thing that you wrote like five years ago, this is going to be Raven's description or whatever. And these guideposts that she helped me pull out of that were enough for me to um, kind of like move forward with courage and confidence that I could do it,
0: you know? Yeah. But then that's another level of vulnerability is you putting everything going, here's all my stuff. I don't know which parts are good and which parts are yeah. whatever. And being able to let her just go here is this is gold. This is gold. This is gold. And- yeah
1: Yeah. Because it was like, that's the thing is that for me, writing this TV pilot, it was not something that I wrote in a month. It was not something that I just sat down and whipped out of my butt like nothing. It didn't happen like that. It happened just like the play did because that's my process. I had to take all of the kind of hunter-gatherer material and work with someone that I trusted and start to excavate it slow, slow, bird by bird. And through that, then something was created. But, you know, uh, it's diving it, it's, it's diving in and not looking back and not and doing what I say I'm going to do and follow it
3: through that gets me to here. This one thing, can you guys yeah, hear Trish. me? I want to say, um, Valerie, keeping it real is a superpower. And it seems to me that um, once you realize that, you can really step into your actual power. It's no mistake that your play is called Naked in Alaska because you had to get naked in order to be really seen. And it's just like you said, Heidi, you know, you need to embrace it's a human thing. When you see a peer being elevated, um, it's a normal thing to feel a little jealousy and just be honest about it and then you can move on. That's right. And uh, so it's, it's just so refreshing to hear your story. And thank you so much for being so open and honest, because really I think we can all see it's through that nakedness and honesty that you've really been able to move to the next level and help other people out and step into your, step into your
2: spotlight.
1: (laughs) It's like RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? You know what I think it is too? It's like what happened in, in, when I was, you know, when I hit bottom with drugs, it was like, it was, it was that kind of thing it was like, it, 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 I have to get a, to a point where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And I gotta tell you, I got to a point where I, I was sick and tired of being uh, riddled with depression and self-hate and feeling stuck all the motherfucking time and yeah, so yeah. it's like trisha was saying it was like the only way i knew how to get out of that was to be as raw and real as i possibly could um and 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 and, and I, yeah sometimes you know we got to protect ourselves or whatever but you know what i'm saying yeah, you know what yeah. i mean and it was like through that is when i started to what what trisha was saying is realize there there is a power in that it's a, it is it's a it, because it's real, you know what I mean? Because it's real, it, it has substance. You can't, it's like manjushri sword. It's like he cuts through falseness with his manjushri knife, you know? And basically I think that's what we all want. We all want to cut through it. We just want to see real raw. We want to be real raw. We want yeah. to experience real raw.
0: Well, it's the same power of apology you know it's people are like oh i don't want to be wrong i'm not going to apologize and I mean, it's like no when you step forward and are like i screwed up i am really sorry and here's why i'm sorry and you know, like the person who is apologizing is actually the person with all the power because they're owning their their shit and it's it's that like Brené Brown vulnerability TED Talk thing where it's like the the people who are willing to be vulnerable are the people who are the strongest people So there's that. (laughs) Well, um, you guys, this has just been incredible. Thank you so much, Valerie, for, as always, being so real and sharing yourself. I I love you. Next time on Hearthside Salons, the artist Paul Whitehead came of age in swinging 60s Britain and was on the front lines of massive cultural shifts. He's the founding art director of Time Out London, and he's known for creating album covers for the band Genesis, among many others. Never comfortable being defined as just one thing, Paul developed an alter ego as the artist Trisha Van Cleef, who creates works in a style all her own. Join us as we talk about gender, art, creative spirit, and playing with perceptions. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept-to-pages writing courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, Check out pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from PageCraft. Thanks for listening, and stay well.